Black True Crime is a podcast that researches and discusses murders committed by black offenders. It is a podcast that anyone and everyone is welcome to enjoy, but it may not be enjoyed by anyone and everyone. So listener discretion is advised. Now, without further ado, this is Black True Crime. Hello, everyone. Hi, everybody. <laughs> I'm Kayla. And I'm Kristen. And welcome to Black True Crime. Period. If this is your first time here at the show, welcome and hello. Hey, what's up? <laughs> we are super, super happy to be back. I think this is our first time actually recording since we did the giveaway on Instagram. And that was really, really fun. So that was literally lit. And that's mm. just goes to show what our live shows are going to be like. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We went live for the first time and people showed up and showed out. So that was fun. We will be doing one every single month. We've decided on the 15th. So make sure you're listening to hear the requirements to make sure you are eligible to win that money, honey. Period. Today, we are talking about a case that is unsolved. Oh my God, Kayla, you hate those. Kristen, I hate them with my whole heart. But this case, like, grabbed me by the nipples, honestly. I can't wait to get into it. Mm. Mm-hmm. And you guys are going to love it, too. I feel like it's one of those cases that you feel, oh my gosh, if I tried and I really did the digging and the research, I could figure out who did it. It's like oh one God. of those cases, you know? Like, should we open up a forum type stuff and all tag in our opinions, our comments, our research? Well, you know how they say there is no such thing as an original thought. So who's to say that we could come up with something that someone hasn't come up with already? However, it doesn't hurt to speculate. I'm about to say, piss off. Original (laughs) thoughts come all the time. Whatever. It just takes actually balls enough to say your original thought because I bet a thousand people have thunk it. So, guys, let us know at the end of this. Should we really like create something and be some Nancy Drews up in the house, some Sherlock Holmes and do this thing? So join us as we discuss the Freeway Phantom murders. And no, I did not write an intro this time because I forgot to. Well, it's okay, But the case is still going to give. Don't be disappointed. So we're going to start off with this case talking about a woman named Romaine Jenkins, okay? She was one of the detectives that were working in the homicide department at the time. And she was actually the first woman detective in the DC unit, like homicide unit, period. Kudos to you, ma'am. Mm-hmm. And she was a black woman, period. So we're already here for it. We're here for it. We can start by letting you guys know that these cases happened in early 1970s. So, Kristen, what happened in Black True Crime in 1970? Or in just the 1970s in general? Okay, well, what happened in Black History in Mm -hmm. 1970s in D.C. actually stems from some stuff that actually happened the decade before it. So, let's start in 1966, y'all, taking you to D.C., the capital. (laughs) Now, before and after Stokely Carmichael, who was basically a black nationalist, he unlocked the black power movement on a national scale using his feigned call during the Meredith March Against Fear, which was, we want black power. End of discussion. Okay. But before and after this call to action, DC activists were already creating organizations geared towards black culture celebration, black self-defense, and power within the black community. Now, these are the days that we were shifting away from trying to get equality of opportunity for black people. Mm -hmm. And we were shifting towards gaining resources, power, and control for black people. Another thing that started in the 1960s was war on poverty. Specifically in January 1964, his first State of the Union address, President Lyndon B. Johnson declared war on poverty, stating that he would love for the Congress to agree with him to completely cure and prevent poverty. Hmm. You know, it's a nice feat. It's possible, question mark. It's nice that he tried. Yeah. Um, 
Nice sentiment. In the summer of 66, the federal government poured war on poverty money into the streets of D.C. Several community groups received this funding and several groups were created because of this funding, like the Poverty Rights Action Center. Now, this sparked a huge conversation point of contention within the black community because some people were like, um, is accepting the federal money from the government undermining the goal of black self-determination or mm. is it helping us get to that goal faster? That's a good so question. So I would love to know what you guys think. Definitely put some comments in our um, Instagram post and just let me know. Do you think that accepting federal government money actually helps us become more independent, like almost accepting credit, debt, just mm -hmm. to build something from it? Or do you say, no, this is what got us in trouble in the first place, accepting money from a government that doesn't believe that we can earn it ourselves? Right. Do you see it more as like a welfare type of, you know, more exactly. so quote-unquote handout type of situation yes and then apply that to what you think about reparations so mm. um i will Ooh. most likely be doing a tiktok on this because there's some more information that i want to divulge so stay okay. tuned sister it's giving thank you so much of course and thank Thanks you for, for leaving me. us with something to think about and ponder and question absolutely okay so back to the case Romaine, Jenkins, Poppin, sexy. Well, mm. I don't want to, you know, objectify her that way, but she's cute. Kristen? That was her being hot. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was about to say. Are you? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, she's really, really cute. And she was working. She was 28 at the time when she was in the homicide unit. The only woman, like I said, good for her. And at the time, D.C. was flooded with murder cases, which is, you know, obviously not a good thing. And she was brought onto the force to, like, investigate baby deaths and abortions and stuff like that, because at the time, abortions were illegal. Okay. Mm -hmm. Most of the men didn't even want to touch the cases involving children because most of them were fathers, obviously, and they just couldn't couldn't take it. Oh, I get it. I get it. How sweet. And, and she thought maybe she could just handle it better because she was single at the time. She didn't have any kids and it, maybe it could be a little bit easier for her, but it happened to not be. And it will be the case that haunted her for the rest of her life. Wow, girl. I can't even imagine. I, I could already told her this is going to haunt you for the rest of your life. Yeah. <laughs> working with children, like something is going to stay with you and change you. Right. As a person who can literally create children, like, you know, this is going to mess with you, girl. Yeah. But I guess definitely. she didn't. No, no. She was strong and she stayed with it. And even though she wasn't really technically directly assigned to these cases for until like, you know, way, way later, she was really involved at the time and made sure she researched what she could while it was happening. She got her hands on, you know, reports and things like that. So she just stayed in the loop. Okay. It's almost like she's trying to create her own lane. Like, okay, I'm going to be the t detective known for this. Well, it seems, yeah. And it also seemed like she just really genuinely cared and felt like she had to come to the, these girls' rescue. Right. So on May 1st, 1971, Romaine remembers a call coming in around 2 p.m. to police headquarters saying some children were playing along I-295 behind St. Elizabeth's Hospital, and they had just found the body of a young girl. Oh, it was 13-year-old Carol Spinks. This is Carol. No. Carol Denise Spinks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just adorable. Adorable. Romaine wasn't dispatched to the, like, actual scene, but she was, however, sent to speak with Carol's family members and neighbors to see if they, like, knew some helpful information. And when she went to leave, she was actually stopped by the district commander. And at the time, there was, like, a lot going on in D.C. There was protests and all that type of stuff, so... They felt like that was more important to kind of keep the streets managed. And it was actually outside of the police station as well. So I guess priority was not solving this little girl's murder. Okay. Cruel mm -hmm. and unusual. Oh, is it but that unusual? I was but about to common. say. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So at this time, Carol was a seventh grader. I want you guys to know more about her. And she was one of eight children. She had an identical twin, and both of them loved double dutch and hula hooping. Kristen, can you imagine how adorable and innocent she was? Think about the 12-year-olds now. Girl, 
Killing. They're, get, they're taking STD tests. I will just say they're taking LSD. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're doing a lot. And she was just beautiful and super innocent and didn't deserve to have her life snuffed out like this. So we're going to no. get into some of the details of what led up to her abduction and, you know, her murder. Thank you. So Carol went missing on April 21st, just four blocks away from her home when she was walking to like 7-Eleven. Carol had an older sister who was 24. I think her name was Vanessa. And she lived in the same building as Carol and her mom and like their other siblings. And she told Carol to run to the store and like get them some snacks. She gave her $5 and she was like, you know, go to the store. Mm -hmm. But their mother was not home at the time. She was in Maryland visiting family and she told them not to leave the house. Oops. Okay. We've all done this. We all have been there. We all did not listen. Mm-hmm. so carol didn't listen and her mom i would say luckily caught her her mom i guess was on the way home and saw carol like outside walking really? yeah yeah and she was like you know carol what the hell but instead of taking carol back home she let carol go to the store and said when you get home i'm gonna give you the whooping of your life <laughs> no that, yeah that- Taking her off that street could have saved her life. Oh, that's torment. I can't even imagine what that mom felt. And it's just a repeating type of pattern. Like a lot of the family members close to these young girls feel a lot of guilt. Because, of course, they're so young. We're not even going to, I'm not even going to tell you how young. We're going to get to it. It's just really, really sad. So, unfortunately, obviously, Carol never made it back home. And after searching all over the neighborhood for her, her mother filed a missing persons report that night. Mm -hmm. We already know that Carol, who was described as five feet tall and 100 pounds, is the first known victim of this serial killer and was more than likely abducted after she left 7-Eleven because someone actually said, hey, I remember seeing her and she was holding a bag. So we know she already went into 7-Eleven, plus the clerk said, you know, I saw her. So, right. Okay. So between her house and the 7-Eleven, which was only a four block radius. So from the research I've done from prior episodes and, you know, this one, serial killers are more likely to start killing in an area they are most comfortable or familiar with. So like a place where they work or even their own fucking neighborhood. And that's kind of like what police were thinking along the lines of not really police because it was just a bunch of men that were investigating the case at this point. You know what I'm saying? And they were half assed doing it. Let's be real. But in Romaine's mind, she felt like, okay, that's what's going on here. Because with the next murder, unfortunately, yes, there is a next murder. The body was found just 15 feet away from where Carol's body was found. Are you joking? No jokes. Behind the hospital. Correct. Wow, he's bold. It's like off off the hospital. There's like, you know how sometimes something can be right off of the highway? Yeah. It was probably like between the hospital and the, the highway. highway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think it's safe to assume right now with the little information that we do have, the killer was familiar with the area that he found Carol in. And it's so small that there's no other way that he could have like happened upon a little girl walking by herself unless he knew what to look for. Because for Carol to do that, that's something that she probably had done a million times before. So he probably had seen her before. Oh, also, Carol, rest in peace, beautiful girl. So sorry this happened to you. You were too young to go. Way too young. Way too young. Let's look at her again. Beautiful. Adorable. So from her autopsy, it was discovered that Carol had been sexually violated in the worst way. She was the S word. God, I fucking hate this. She was sodomized. Yes, yes. And she had cuts on her face and her neck and her hands just, you know, everywhere. And she was also strangled to death. So we're dealing with a person who is the worst of the worst. Yeah, you pick up a 13-year-old girl, and that's just assuming that that's his first victim, right? A 13-year-old girl? That's crazy. And you sexually violate her? What the fuck is wrong with you? In the worst way? In the worst way. And you strangle her. And the way that he killed her, like, in my opinion, it doesn't seem like this is the first time that he'd ever killed someone. Mm. And we're going to get a little bit more into some of the details. So she was strangled to death. There were green synthetic fibers found on her clothes and her shoes were missing. Okay, they just were never found. So from the evidence, it seems like the green fibers, in my opinion, could have come from like a car or something that was inside of what she was transported in. 
because right. it doesn't seem like she was actually attacked or killed where her body was found. So once they realized there were green fibers involved, in my head, I'm like, okay, probably the car that she was transported in. And I would start looking for cars that had something like that inside of it. And at this point, it's 1971, you know, shag rugs. <laughs> it's probably it's something like that, you know. Right. Absolutely. So I would start looking for something like that. At least it's like a starting place. And let's be honest, it's 1971. They didn't have fucking DNA for real, but they did have fingerprint evidence. And there was no sign of of that type of evidence on her body, her clothing, anything like that. So they were really just at a loss. And as we know, they're going to continue to be at a loss because the case is unsolved. Until the 100th victim. (sighs) Just terrible. Carol was also found wearing the same clothes she was in when her mother saw her going to the store, which suggests that her killer had to have fed her and kept her alive for a while before he actually killed her because they also found citrus fruits in her stomach. And she had been deceased for about two or three days before her body was actually found. Mm -hmm. That's so sad. So she was just in the back of that hospital dead and nobody noticed nobody noticed nobody and then noticed. who found her was good golly a group of kids a group of kids traumatizing what the hell were they doing back there right what were they <laughs> doing back there i don't know sister i don't know i don't we don't know a lot in this case Kristen. and it's it doesn't get any better just gets i worse. should really be taking notes for this case you should be because you might want to hmm, put two and two and two and two and two together Okay, just 10 weeks later, another body was found off I-295, like we said, in the same exact place almost as the first, which was Carol. And this time it was 16-year-old Darlinia Johnson. Darlinia. Darlinia, yeah, she was so cute too. And she was only 16. Darlene's body was found by a highways and traffic employee who had trouble with their vehicle. So they pulled over to the side of the road and that's how they found her. And this was she is, in a bag or was she just out there? Her body was just out there, just laying out there. Oh, and guess what? This wasn't even the first call that the precinct or the 911 dispatcher had gotten about the body. Someone else had discovered it, and when police went to the scene, they didn't even get out of the car to, like, inspect fully. They just drove past. What? Kristen, I can't even hold you. Drove past, basically peeking out over their fucking window, and that was it. Scary tales. Like, you can't be scary and be a cop, even though we know, we know. Half the cops are scary. Yeah, exactly. But that's what it was giving. Or they just didn't give a shit, Kristen. They had other things more important to do. But I guess one of the people that found her was shocked to see nothing on the news about, you know, the body. And they drove past the scene again like a week later just to see the body still there. Okay, please tell me it wasn't there. Kristen, Darlene was still there. Kayla, how was her body there a week later off of a popular highway? Nobody was looking. Nobody checked. Nobody cared. She wasn't in a bag. She was completely exposed. I don't know how, like, explicitly exposed she was, but these people that called the police told them specifically where to look to find her. How are you not even getting out of your car to look for her? Every person that saw her had to get out of their car. So like, hello, all you have to give is a little bit more of a shit than you actually do. And they could have found her. That is so bad on the police department. It makes zero sense. There's no way to explain that away. No, absolutely horrific. And I know apparently DC was in fucking shambles because of Watergate or something they said was going on. I didn't give a shit about, but either way, it made them feel like they didn't need to prioritize these girls. Just, I mean, if you took three seconds to think about that mom. Yeah. I mean, I would have ran and picked up my baby. If the police can't get her, I will. Yeah. If the police can't solve it, I freaking will. You know, like, but she didn't have a chance because nobody informed her like they informed the police. Yeah. And they did nothing. Nothing. So Darlene's body was out there. And remember, it's July. 
So she's been out there for a week. She's decomposed by this time. By the time the medical examiner even gets her, they have to cut her actual fingertips off to do something funky to them to even be able to get her fingerprint to like identify her. Mm-hmm. And it was just terrible, horrible, and such a disgusting oversight on the yeah. department's end. So nothing was actually done to like get Darlinia off the side of the road until the guy called another guy who called the D.C. police sergeant. And then that's how they got her out of there. SMH. Mm-mm-mm. Darlinia was reported missing on July 9th when she never showed up to the Oxen Run Recreation Center. And she told her mom that she was going to be working like a sleepover event at the center that night, but she never even showed up to work it. They couldn't determine her cause of death because obviously she was too decomposed. And yeah, rest in peace, Darlinia. Sorry you had to go through that. That is just horrible. Oversight, horrible everything. It's just horrible. Lazy fucking police work. No way to honor you in your death. That was no way to do it. So since we know that someone called Darlene's body in, they discovered her, and then a week later she was actually, you know, taken in by police or everything was blocked off, we know that she was only with her killer maybe a day or two. Mm-hmm. So the first time when he killed Carol, he held Carol for about a week. So at this point, he's kind of changing his M.O. a little bit, probably because he's feeling a little bit of heat on his back. And if he did kill Carol or know Carol, at least from his like actual neighborhood, and he knew Darlania from the same area, who's to say that somebody wasn't on to him? That's probably why he got rid of Darlenia a lot quicker than he did Carol. Maybe. So nine days after Darlenia's body was found, 10-year-old Brenda Faye Crockett... 10 year old y'all was found by a hitchhiker off route 50 in cheverly just across the district line so he's crossing state lines just enough to where the jurisdiction isn't the same so he feels like the communication can be a little bit off between obviously departments and it gives him a little bit more time to be conspicuous Mm -hmm. so he has the nerve to try to be strategic exactly he's giving a little bit smart You know, he thought this through or he may have some type of connection to law enforcement. Where did he find a 10 year old girl to be able to just snatch her up? Well, unfortunately, we're going to get to that. Protect our children. I know. She was a church going little girl who loved being theatrical and like the center of attention. They said she liked to be in front of a camera. And I was like, "Uh, do they have cameras in 1971? But... Whatever their version of a camera was, she liked to be in front of it. So, Kayla, you know. they had a whole TV back then. They had cameras. Oh, I didn't know. See, I didn't know. Look at you. Know. Oh, yeah, they did have like a soul train and shit. Yes. Yeah, What's wrong with me? <laughs> <laughs> I stopped because it wasn't appropriate. So, soul train always gives, but always. Yeah, Get back to the. If you haven't seen Soul Train, like the real Soul Train, go on YouTube and type it in. Just type in. There's tons of episodes. You will be in a hole for a while. So Brenda left her home around 8 p.m. in pink foam hair curlers, blue and white shorts, and a matching halter top. And she had no shoes on. And she just walked to the Safeway to buy some bread and pet food. And it was the Safeway off 14th and U Street. And she's 10. Kristen, she's dressed like a grown woman with no shoes on, probably switching down the street. Kayla, going down to see some, some dog food and some bread. <laughs> and some bread. <laughs> Just the cutest things you want to be. Mm-hmm. And her mom was okay with her going because her mom said she initially thought she was going with a friend. Like she was like, oh, she's not going by herself. It should be fine. But she did actually go by herself. When Brenda hadn't come home, After like an hour, her mom went to look for her while her younger sister, who was seven, named Bertha, stayed at home with their mother's boyfriend. Mm -hmm. Well, at 9.20 p.m., the phone rang, and it was Brenda. Mm -hmm. Shut up. I cannot. Bertha answered the phone, and Brenda, while crying, told her sister that a white man had snatched her and took her to Virginia somewhere, but that he was sending her home in a taxi. Oh, my God. Yeah, this is what she was saying. And she was, like I said, she was crying while she said it. So Bertha's probably like, you know, like, what the fuck is going on? But the line went dead. Oh, God. This is too much. It's such a clincher. 
25 minutes later, Brenda called again, but talked to her mother's boyfriend this time. He said he asked her if she knew where she was in Virginia, and Brenda replied, quote, no. Did my mother see me? Question mark. Kristen. Huh? What does that yeah. mean? So the boyfriend said, quote, how could your mother see you if you're in Virginia? Mm-hmm. Question mark. And then he just told her to put the man on the phone. But she didn't. She only whispered, well, I'll see you before the line went dead. What? Kayla, and what is this 10-year-old talking about? She acts like she has so much sense. Because she sounds so smart. She sounds so smart. And eight hours later, Brenda's body was found. Her feet were completely clean, like they had been washed. She'd been raped and strangled to death. And she, too, had those green synthetic fibers on her clothes. Oh, my gosh. I can't. Why would he allow her to call her home twice and still continue to rape her and kill her? I have no idea. So we're going to get to kind of more of that. But it's we're going to get to it, Kristen. We're going to get to it. Brenda, Brenda, Brenda. Just imagine, Kayla, like, are you joking? He he almost toyed with her by letting her call home. Maybe he really was going to let her go because he washed her feet. Like, maybe he thought she was special. Mm, I don't know, because there were other girls, you know, in the future, sorry, that he will wash too. He will end up washing them. And I think it's just his attempt to get rid of any evidence that he can. Okay. Which so just we makes- know it's a white man. And we know that he's taking them to Virginia, or at least he took Brenda. Okay, well, we're going to get to it. Okay, we're going to get to it. Now, Romaine, who isn't, like I said, directly associated with the case at this point, but she's been staying on top of it. She's really attached to this, and she's trying to figure out what the fuck she can do to help. You know, maybe she can figure out something that nobody else can. Right. So she had a theory that the killer may have personally known Brenda's mother and wanted to know if she'd seen him with the little girl. So Romaine said, quote, why would you call? Why would you let her call home? Not once, but twice. He had to make sure that the mother didn't see her, end quote. And in my opinion, that could have been the case, because let's be real. I don't think that he actually ended up taking her to Virginia because I don't think he really could have gotten there quick enough. In 1970, they didn't really have cell phones. So I don't think he would have got to Virginia quick enough or a payphone to do that. But I do think, I do agree with her that maybe he knew Brenda's mom or something, or maybe they literally drove past Brenda's mom and Brenda just naturally reacted to seeing her mom and started freaking out. And he was calling to see if that was something that, you know, she saw. Wow. I don't know. Either way, I think it's so crazy for her to ask, like, did did my mother see me? Do you yeah. know the fear that she probably felt in her to feel like she saw her mom, but there was nothing that she could do to Tell alert her? her? Hey, mom. <sighs> like that false sense of hope. Kristen, how traumatizing is this to you as an adult right now? It's <laughs> Let alone going through it as a child. It's horrible to think that a child even went through this. That's the traumatizing part. 100%. And I don't want to do any more child cases for a year. So please don't request any more. Don't even request I have, not now. I one. have so many that I literally just have not done. <laughs> we're going to keep it in the vault until we can take it out and process it and do the best that we can. Yeah. You know, we got to protect our peace in our space too. Shoot. Shoot. <laughs> okay. So right now in my research, I was considering the fact that last week we covered Henry Lewis Wallace. And if you guys haven't listened to that, Go listen to it. It was awful. Awful. It really was. And he was someone who, spoiler alert, killed women he personally knew. So it made me feel like it's more possible that he could have been killing these girls that he knew or was close enough to to kind of disarm them. Because they're so, so young, I don't see them as just being the type of girls to just get in the car with someone they didn't know. Thank you. That's what I'm saying. Like, how does he have access to these young girls? How is he disarming them? Is he just snatching them or is he telling them to come in the car? What is his method? 
Exactly. And the fact that the ages range, so the the 10 year old, the 13 year old, the 16 year old, you know what I'm saying? So it's just different levels of maturity within, you know, still being an adolescent or a child or whatever. And he's still been able to get a hold of them. And back in the 1970s, if a white man is telling me to get in his car while I'm walking somewhere, I'll be doggone. (laughs) <laughs> well, we also don't think that he was actually white because a lot of the, the little girls, too, would have been doggone. Why right. would I be getting into a car with a rude the white man. man in 1970? I don't think so. In D.C.? No, man. In D.C.? Mm-mm. So, yeah, they're more likely thinking they, meaning the police, that it's a black man. Oh, so let's take a look at the map again. Let's see in proximity how close Carol and Darlene Thank you. We're found. So super close. As we already told you guys, they were found. And yeah. So on October 1st, 1971, 12-year-old Nina Moshe Yates disappeared when she was walking to the Safeway located just one block away from her family's apartment on Benning Road Southeast. Another Safeway. What the heck? I know. It was around 7 p.m. and she went to buy some sugar and flour, stuff like that. And she was living with her father and stepmother who had just had like a new baby. And they were still at the hospital with the newborn. I don't think her father was there, but I just know that her father is the one that sent her to the store. 12 years old. These girls are really young, just out on the streets, tra-la-la, late at night. And I know it's D.C. and everybody walks everywhere. Right, right. But dang, it's also D.C. and everybody walks everywhere. (laughs) Everybody. And it's the 70s, though. So, you know, probably a different level of comfort. Mm. Two hours after she left her home, a 16-year-old boy found her body along Pennsylvania Avenue, just east of the district. And I don't know what they say by the district. Maybe that's like a specific area but i do know pennsylvania avenue is in dc so. and it's literally where the white house is on pennsylvania avenue oh that's that's a thing wow mm-hmm. terrible she was only in sixth grade when she died just a baby and the autopsy showed that she was also raped and strangled and she too had green synthetic fibers on her clothes like this man is raping little girls little children he is the worst of the worst. I can't believe he got away with it. Kayla, he... Oh, I'm so pissed. Oh, I forgot this was unsolved. He got away <laughs> with it. Yeah, I mean, he's getting away with it because at this point, he could still be alive. I mean, yeah, who fucking 50, knows? 50 years later, it it's a stretch. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he could be a very old age sitting back in his chair yeah. Reminiscing about his horrible, horrible past. Being a piece of shit. Absolutely. After Nina Moshe was found, the media started sweating the police and they wanted them to basically announce that the cases were clearly connected and started to refer to the unknown killer as the freeway phantom. The police were so reluctant to announce the possibility of a serial killer because honestly, it was the first one they'd ever like officially known that they had in the D.C. area. So they're probably just scared, you know, themselves and intimidated by the title itself. Whatever. Like at the end of the day, education and getting the word out yeah. is probably the most important thing. So bump all of that. Yeah, people are dying. Are you joking? Little girls are dying. The fuck is wrong with you? That should be the one thing that we protect the most in this society is yeah. young, innocent little girls. Fucking children. Correct. And little boys. And six weeks later, the fifth victim would be found. Best. And then he doesn't mind waiting weeks and weeks and weeks later before killing again. Yeah. And Romaine has like a theory about that. And we're going to get the we're going to get to that, too. So, yeah. 18 year old Brenda Woodard went missing on November 15th after meeting a classmate at Ben's Chili Bowl for a little night out. And this was typical of the two to like go out you know, after class or whatever. And usually her friend would drive her home, but this time his car was in the shop. So the two just rode the bus together to where they needed to go. And Brenda got off alone at 8th and 8th Street Northeast and got onto a separate bus. And those are like the last movements that are actually known of hers. She was found the next morning on Hospital Drive, just south of Route 202 near Prince George's Hospital around 5 a.m. 
Brenda's burgundy coat was draped over her and her black turtleneck top was inside out, suggesting that she was redressed. Right. Right. She also had buttons missing from her coat and her skirt. The autopsy showed that Brenda had been raped, strangled, and stabbed four times. Wow. He's getting more violent. He's keeping right. his victims at a lesser time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And still dropping them off near, well, this one, was, Brenda was near a hospital, like the first two victims, rest right. their souls. Kristen, literally, I, my next sentences were, he is becoming more violent and he is spending less time with the victims. <laughs> But yes, but Brenda also had defensive wounds on her hands, suggesting that, you know, she fought for her life. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe that's why he stabbed her because she was fighting so much and she was older than all of the other girls. So maybe he just wasn't able to overpower her as as easily. Mm, which makes which me makes me think weakling. Mm -hmm. I was about to say, which makes me think he's probably like a younger, smaller pussy. All of the above exactly and for me the fact that he's like getting rid of which sounds so gross to say of the girls you know of their bodies or whatever so quickly i feel like he's not even really enjoying the process he may just be addicted to the process you know what Mm. i'm saying Mm. and he's just like rushing through it and just keeps doing it because i really feel like the way that he's killing doesn't seem like he's a type that can just kill once and then take a break i feel like he may have been traveling or something like that Mm, or maybe he has another life that prevents him from killing as frequently as he would like right right and we're kind of going to talk about that in a little bit but there was something that was different from brenda's murder than the others in her pocket was a handwritten note that read quote this is tantamount to my insensitivity to people, especially women. I will admit the others when you catch me if you can. And then it's signed Freeway Phantom. Wow. So he's really just filling his name. I'll tell you that. Oh, he's loving. He's loving the publicity. Reveling you know, the, the fact no, that the, the notoriety. has given him a name. For sure. Wow. From handwriting analysis tests, I, I read that they said Brenda wrote this, but I also read that they said Brenda just wrote the signature part. And looking at it, it looks like the handwriting is pretty consistent with both parts. So I really don't know what to believe, but I'm almost positive that it wasn't the actual killer that wrote it. Right. He's not that dumb. Right. He's been very smart so far. I can't believe he said on my insensitivity to people, especially women. These are not women. These are young girls. These are children. Mm -hmm. So what are you really getting at? This could be someone that's your daughter, but at the same time, who knows how young this guy is? Who, Who knows? Because the girls are feeling very, what it seems like, disarmed when they're approached by him. You know, so he can't be someone that seems that much older or that much more threatening. Right. And if he's equating these young girls to women, maybe he's on their level age wise where he would see them as an equal to or the equal opposite Mm -hmm. to a man. Mm -hmm. But we also know that men sometimes can be hella fucking gross and just try to elevate a woman's age, a a woman's age, a girl's age to make her seem like a woman and make them seem less fucking nasty for being attracted to her. Disgusting. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't seem like he has any guilt about what he's doing. So I don't even think he would do that. No. Yeah, exactly. I don't think he feels the need to humanize the girls at all. Mm. Horrible. So according to Romaine, the way that Brenda wrote the note in her regular handwriting with punctuation, it suggested that Brenda had some sort of comfortability with her killer. So they're saying, you know, maybe she knew him. Romaine said, quote, there was no signs that she was nervous when she wrote the note. You don't think calmly like that if someone has kidnapped and assaulted you. End quote. And it's like, technically, you can't really tell someone how they react in a situation like that. But I can understand why she's like, you know, you're probably panicking. You're trying to scribble as fast as you can. Yeah, like I would I would be used to or or expecting to see wiggly lines or really, you know, striking lines that just show someone was either rash or either very fearful when they're writing, not calm. and, And that was pretty good calligraphy, if you ask me. Yeah, yeah. So who knows? Because also he could have had her write it before things got, you know, scary. Crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
She also, she meaning Romaine, felt like Brenda's neighborhood had to have saw something because Romaine actually grew up in the same neighborhood. And she even went to the same high school, obviously not at the same time, but the same high school as Brenda. And she knows that the neighborhood is known for people to to be outside hanging out on their porches and stuff like that. So she just feels like it's hard to believe that no one saw like anything, anything. In my opinion, I feel like maybe she did know the killer because this is still like a close knit area. It's not DC back then probably wasn't too crazy. And in my opinion, I feel like the guy had a profession of possibly being something like a bus driver or something that just, you know armed children yeah something that made you visible to people often and just made it seem like oh he's just another guy right like maybe it was an ice cream truck driver something blended in but was always there exactly exactly so all of these girls are going missing later in the day after 7 p.m and they're being quote-unquote dumped before 5 a.m. And this makes me feel like the killer works like a day job. So probably a bus driver. Buses usually stop running after like a certain amount of time or whatever. Or the person could have worked at a grocery store because we know that a lot of the girls were on their way to grocery stores and or maybe even like a taxi service or something. I don't know. I know that it was a working man though. Yeah, I think that that corroborates. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So 10 months have passed since Brenda's murder and police are thinking that maybe the freedom, the freeway phantom has just moved on and left the area. Or maybe he just got locked up for something else, <laughs> which is what the fuck I'm really, really hoping. And he just didn't go somewhere and start killing girls anywhere else. But right. yeah. And if that's true, the killer was not away for long or got released from jail because on September 6, 1972, the body of 17-year-old Diane Williams was found by a trucker who pulled onto the side of the road. Wow. Diane was a junior at Bilal. I think that's how you say it. Bilal yeah. Senior High School and had spent the evening with her boyfriend who walked her to the bus stop so she could you know, head home. And she lived in Halley Terrace in Southeast DC. I'm not sure exactly how far that is away, but you know, she had to ride a bus at least, but she never made it home. Oh my God. Look at her, Kayla. These women just look like people that we know just when they were younger, you know, like just aunts, people that are definitely still supposed to fucking be here. And it's just crazy that they were just killed and there have been no fucking consequences for anyone that's been involved all black girls all black girls she was found strangled on 295 about 200 yards from the dc line there wasn't another murder connected to the freeway killer after that and in 1974 the fbi finally decided to create a task force to investigate the unsolved murders finally let's do something about it i'm like is this not two years after after the it stopped, yes. Yeah. Kristen. Are you joking? Don't even get me fucking started. The task force reached over 100 investigators and agents at one point, and according to Romaine, who had been promoted by this time, she was not necessarily, you know, hands-on involved. She said she was proud of the work they put in. <laughs> she said, quote, they ran down every lead. I have to give them credit. So I'm like, okay, but... They could have done this when the murders were happening, more proactive, so this person wasn't able to get away. It's like you're already being reactive by having girls die in order for you to get even more evidence to catch the killer. But now you create a task force two years after the last murder, which is approximately four to five years after the first. That's exactly... Because that's exactly what it was giving. It was giving like, oh, we're just waiting for the killer to kill again and maybe leave evidence behind before we actually like get up in arms about stopping it. It's just it's just lazy work. And I know there's only like a finite amount of resources that they can put toward these type of things because there's murders happening and so much other things happening in the city. But at the same time, like, come on, if there was if it was two Caucasian girls or six caucasian girls you know they would have fucking cut off fucking welfare and that's to make sure they had enough money that's the sad truth and that task force would have been created after the second girl died so 110 percent. this seems like clean up on aisle three type Mm -hmm. vibes clean up on aisle fucking 287 because what day and year is it 
too little, too fucking late. And I and I the only thing I can give them is the fact that if they had caught the killer, yeah. it, the my thing would have been I would have been satisfied to know that that killer thought he got away with it, and then mm-hmm. two three years later, boom, boom, no, mm-hmm. you didn't, right. Right. The task force went through hundreds of suspects, including a four-star general, a psychiatrist working at St. Elizabeth. So remember, that's where the two bodies were first found, Carol and Darlenia. And they also were looking at a rich Prince George land developer. They were looking at priests, too. They were looking at a lot of different people. Okay. They even interviewed a man that was allegedly seen in the car with Darlenia after she was reported missing. And they used sodium pent- pentothal on him. AKA like the truth serum. Oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so it seemed like they were trying to throw anything they could at the situation now, mm-hmm. three years after the murders. Mm-hmm. And let's see the strongest lead they were able to come up with was a man named Robert Askins, who was a computer technician and former patient at St. Elizabeth's who served time for poisoning a DC sex worker to death in 1938. Wow. He was let yeah yeah. He was let out of prison in 1958 because of a legal technicality. And in March of 1977, a judge signed off on a search warrant to search his house. Mm-hmm. Okay. So listen to this. They found that in his appellate paperwork they the word tantamount was used, and apparently it was a word that he would use a lot to describe like emphasize the importance of his work. So when he was describing things that he'd been working on or interested in or whatever, whatever, he would use that word on the red on the regular. Hmm. And they really felt like, ooh, that's something. That's something. Yeah, because tantamount isn't just this common word that people throw around. Right, right. But according to Romaine, when she showed the note to multiple different analysis people, blah, 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 she said that they said this sounds military. You know, the way that it's worded, the way that it, the cadence is, it sounds like the guy was in the military. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they also found in Robert's, in Robert's house, soiled women's scarves. I don't know what they're soiled with. I don't want to fucking know. Photos of girls and women and a knife. And then they also found an essay written by a girl. So he was just really fucking gross. And a month later, a warrant was issued to search his car. And inside, they found two buttons and a gold earring under his back seat. Oh so remember, mm-hmm, one of the girls, they were missing was buttons, buttons from on exactly. her coat and her skirt. Exactly. And now I'm thinking, okay, are there any green fibers in this? Right. You know, like, let me know. And there were none. They didn't find anything that matched in his vehicle or his home. And when they tested the hairs that were attached to those fibers that they found, you know, on the girls, they didn't come back as matching Robert. Oh, so freaking annoying. At the same time, like, this is two whole years later. He could have got a different green freaking rug. He, You know, he could have scrapped yeah, that rug car. and got something else. Yeah, 100%. But they did have enough to charge him with the kidnapping and rape of two women in the district years after the Free Phantom murders. And he received a life sentence for those crimes. And he died in 2010 at age 91. And Robert was black as well. So I do want to tell you that. Well, that sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Does it suck that he's black or does it suck that he was a piece of shit killer? Both. Yeah, I agree. So was he a piece of shit? Like we said, yes. But I don't think he was the freeway phantom killer. And Romaine doesn't think so either. Police tried their best. I mean, they really worked overtime to try to make the, you know, boot fit. But it was a fuck fit. The detective that revived the case in 2009, his name was something like something trainum, whatever. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it's not really important. He suspected that the real killer killed in his own neighborhood when he abducted Carol and Darlenia because both of them went missing within blocks of each other. Right. So they were, went missing blocks of each other and then were disposed of within feet of, feet each, other. of each other. That's crazy. He said the killer may have felt that someone was on to him or suspicious of him and that's why he changed his hunting ground to areas outside of the neighborhood. Romaine suspects that the killer was in the military and was able to go longer periods of time without killing because he might have been deployed. Mm. So, plausible. She suggested that he was a Vietnam vet suffering from PTSD, but like in my mind, I was like, the violence against women doesn't suggest PTSD, just 
suggest to discuss for women, you know, mm-hmm. slash girls, because these were girls. Because these were children. Both investigators believe that the killer was a black male in his 20s or 30s. So, like we said, pretty young. And yes, Robert Rassens was black, but he was 52 years old at the time, so he didn't really fit the profile. Mm-hmm. The FBI did their little crime analysis and surmised that the killer had at least a high school education and was of average or above average intelligence. And like we said, he had a job. He was employed. He, was a he functioning knew how to person. Right, right. Probably just like a normal guy doesn't look any different than anybody else that we fucking see every day. Right. They also said that he knew how to be personal with women personable with women and confident enough to start up conversation with them but not quote maintain healthy relationships with them so he was he was surface level Mm -hmm. type of guy he either lived alone or with an older woman and was familiar with neighborhoods in which he abducted and disposed of the girls what if he was like a mailman that's that would make sense or a bus driver yeah what if something super super like comfortable Now, let me give you guys a few other details that may change your mind or, like, confuse you more. (laughs) It it confused me more. I'm going to be honest. In 1972, there was a case called the Green Vega case in which two men were convicted of kidnapping and raping women in the D.C. area. It was the two men and three others that would go around and do this shit together. And police got a tip that one of them may have been the Freeway Phantom. So they were, like, on the whole group, like, why don't rise? Mm-hmm. Some of the men even took police to the scenes where the murders, you know, where the girls were found and explained to them what they were wearing and all that type of stuff. Right. But it wasn't, like, any new information. It was all stuff they could find in the fucking, you know, media. And it was just a waste of time. Of course they Which were. is just so sad. And it just stressed Romaine out even more. <laughs> It made her even more obsessed with the case. And in 1987, Romaine was assigned to the U.S. Attorney's Office. And while she was out there, she decided to reopen the case. Good for her. Wow. She was obsessed at this point, like I said. She got a hold of every notebook, file, picture, everything that she could find. She re-interviewed FBI investigators, witnesses, family members, the whole nine. She even requested the missing persons report on Darlenia Johnson from the police department's youth division. And guess who was there to help with her request? A woman named Patricia Williams, who was the sister of Diane Williams, the last known victim. Wow. So, so nice. During the reinvestigation, Romaine found out that Brenda Woodward's family weren't the only ones to get a phone call from the freeway phantom. Really? Really? Apparently, Darlenia's mother received weird phone calls while Darlenia was missing, too. And Diane's parents remember getting a phone call from someone that said, quote, I killed your daughter. Oh. So the person was obviously still alive and well and kicking after the murders happened because he's still taunting the victims. How did he get their fucking phone numbers? I have no idea. Oh, my gosh. And and this is something... Oh my gosh, she sounds Mm -hmm. like a sadist. Yeah, like how are we getting people's numbers back in in 1970? Was it because of the the papers? What's it called? You know, like yellow pages? Yeah. Right, and then the thing is, it's like, why? You already killed their, you know, their their little daughter. Why would you call them? What's what's the need for? He's a sadist. But he did it anyway. 100% got off, 100% had his hand on his dick while he was doing it. Just fucking sick. Wow. There were still hairs and fibers associated with the case preserved, but they were so like shittily preserved that there was nothing that they could do in regards to testing. Tommy Musgrove, who joined the D.C. police force in 1972, said, quote, those black girls didn't mean anything to anybody. And I'm talking about in the police department. If those girls had been white, they would have put together more manpower on it. There's no doubt about it. We know. End quote. We know the families have been understandably devastated by the loss and the lack of closure they've received from it all. Carolyn Spinks, who is Carol Spinks's identical twin, said she still remembers the blood curdling scream her mother let out when the police came to notify her. Carolyn said she actually started getting into drugs and prostitution later in her life. Quote, it was terrible. I couldn't get it together. I thought I was losing my mind. End quote. 
I I would feel the same exact way if I lost my sister in such a traumatizing way at such a young age. Kayla, I mean, you're losing your best friend and your twin. I like can't. that scars you. And I already think like twins have this deep connection because just me and you have a connection. Yeah, yeah. So to, for that to be severed at such a long late, and you're trying to live your life after that, that is. It's wouldn't cool. wish it on anybody. Wouldn't wish it on anybody. It's so cruel. The older sister who sent Carol to the store holds tremendous amounts of guilt too and said that after Carol died, she would walk the same path Carol did just to see if someone would approach her. She said, quote, I was afraid, but I just wanted to know who would do this, end quote. Because she could have got picked up too, you know, who knows? I mean, she was a little bit on the older side, but still. Right, yeah. Bertha Crockett, who was seven at the time, carries guilt as well. When she was interviewed in her 50s, she said, quote, why didn't I go to the store with her? Maybe things would have turned out different. After Brenda's death, Bertha struggled to grieve and grew into a rebellious teenager. She started smoking, didn't go to college, and became a single mom a month before her 18th birthday. She said, quote, if Brenda was living, I would have done things differently. I wish I would have grown up with her. We would have encouraged each other to be better women. I still feel like you're a good woman. Yeah, like you didn't really do anything too bad, sis. (laughs) Yeah, shit. Those are... Sounds pretty good to me. Not too bad. Could be a lot worse. Patricia Williams, who was Diane's sister, on the other hand, chose to become more cautious in life and joined the D.C. Police Department to work with children in the youth division. Mm. Although she is retired in her 70s, she said, quote, I always wish that while I was in the police department that the case would have been solved and I could have played some kind of role in closing it, end quote. That would have been amazing. Although Romaine Jenkins retired in 1994, she just can't let the girls go and plans to look for answers until she can't anymore. Quote, what happens when people like me and the families are gone? This will be forgotten. End quote. If you have any information that can help solve this case called DC Police. Ugh, I hate even saying that, but we want justice for these girls. So, yes, please call them or the cold case tip line at 202-895-5750. Or you can send an email to unsolved.murder at DC.gov. There's actually a $150,000 reward being offered to this day. So. You can get you a little coin. Get you some coin and and, and, and stand up for these girls who yep. had no one to stand up for them when they needed it most. Yep. There are a few things that you may be able to look out for. I know it's a long shot, but it's definitely worth taking. So police feel like the killers took souvenir, right? The killers. Mm-hmm. The killer took souvenirs. And some of them may have been the pink curlers. Um, some from Carol's shoes, mm-hmm. some of the middle school books, they're probably like textbooks and they look really, really old, some shoelaces, things like that. that look like just out of place and they're probably in a hidden place that you're like, why would these be hidden type of thing? So mm-hmm. like I said, no, it's a long shot, but it's worth it. Also, the police seem to think the killer's geographical anchor point is St. Elizabeth's Mental Hospital. Mm-hmm. So they think maybe he worked there, was a patient, or like a frequent visitor. So that's something to keep in mind. And they also think that the murder stopped in 1972 because maybe the killer just moved out of D.C. in 1972. So if your spidey senses are tingling about an uncle, an old grandpa, you know, even your daddy, snitch. Because they're pe- they're clearly a piece of shit if they did this. <laughs> yeah, these the girls need justice. Yeah. So if you know anything, please reach out. Reach out to us. Shoot. Mm-hmm. We'll send it. I'll tell for you. Right. We'll send it for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's our case for this week, Kristen. And you guys. Brutal. Brutal, Brutal. case. Mm-hmm. And I hate that there was no closure, but part of me just felt like if I had enough time, if I had enough resources, I could figure it out, you know, even though the person may be dead by now. But, you know, I'm hoping they died in prison yeah. because they got caught for something fucking else. Yeah, So for sure. So, yeah, guys, that's that all we have for you today. Rough and tough. Let us, 
let us know what you guys think. Let us know what your theories are. And shout out to Romaine Jenkins. I think she's actually still alive and well kicking. So shout out to you. Thank you for being an advocate for these girls. And she also did a little special on A&E about it. I'll include the link below. If you guys enjoyed the episode, please tell all your friends about it. And also leave us a five-star review on Spotify or what else, Kristen? Apple Podcasts? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Really fucking helps. And yeah, what else, Kristen, do we usually say? Well, we say our little slogan. Oh, we really need to say today. Yeah. Be safe. Protect your peace. And protect your space. So we don't have to cover your case. Bye. Bye, guys. Love you. You have a right to kill me. I have a right to do that. But you have no right to judge me.